What's up, guys? Connor O'Hanlon here again today for another episode of the Con O Show. And today I have a guest. Uh, his name is Chandler Kwaku, or Kwaku. I said I was going to say it right, but I didn't okay. say it right the first time. But I did say it right the second time. Um, and Chandler and I met the other day at a protest that I helped organize here in Doylestown. Uh, where we were protesting the murder of George Floyd and we were protesting against racism. Uh, Chandler and I met uh, towards the end of the protest because there were so many people there, but which was awesome to see in a predominantly uh, white area in the suburbs here. But we met and Chandler gave a wonderful speech towards the end of the protest. And I wanted to make sure that I was amplifying uh, black voices during this time, uh, rather than just me sitting on here, nor like I normally do giving like a rant about X, Y, or Z being that I come from a position of privilege being a, you know, a young white man. So, uh, Chandler, would you like to take a moment to introduce yourself and say anything you'd like about yourself? Yeah. Uh, you know, first of all, thank you for having me. Um, you know, I, I really enjoy when people actually give me a platform to speak. And then not only that, but actually have an audience that's going to listen to me. So once again, thank you for that. Um, hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Chandler Kwaku. Uh, I'm 21 years old. I'm currently a senior at Shippensburg University. Um, I live in Bucks County. I've grown up here all my life. And, you know, growing up in a predominantly white area, it's just been, you know, a lot of ups and downs. Um, and with given the recent events, I just feel as if, you know, now that everybody has a voice, I just need to make mine heard. So that's why I'm here. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. So, um, obviously we're recording this like a little bit over a week since, uh, George, the George Floyd incident happened where he was murdered, um, by the police. So, there have been protests, obviously, across the entire United States uh, and really across the world. It's been the largest outpouring since the assassination of uh, Martin Luther King. Um, when, when did you decide that you wanted to get out and protest? And what, like, was the, um, was there, like, was this your first time protesting? Uh, have you protested before? Have you been involved in any other way before? Right. So... Um, growing, so like I, I saw all the media and everybody's, you know, showing Philly and Chicago and Minnesota. And, you know, I just, you know, I always wanted to have a voice and being inspired by the protests that have been happening, you know, with different celebrities to, you know, the general community members, you know, some, some officers I saw were, were quitting their jobs because they just decided that they can't stand for something like this anymore. And growing up in the area that I do, you know, a lot of these people just wanted to push it under the rug. And that, that whole, you know, saying, you know, silence is violence. Like, I actually believe that because, like, it only takes something to happen to me for you guys to understand that this is a problem. And I, and I don't want it to get to that point. So, um, you know, I was so inspired to just come out. And then I, as soon as I found out that, you know, it was 20 minutes away from my house, I had to make that drive. I had to, you know, go out and make a stand and make my voice heard. So that's why um, I got up at the end. And I, I, I said what I had to say. You know, I, I appreciated all those people who came out and all those people who, didn't look nothing like me supporting people who look like me. And that was just the biggest motivation ever. Yeah. It's interesting to point out because how old did you say you were? 20, 21, 21. Yeah. So I'm 24. So just the, the, the difference in, uh, in experience between you and I, we've grown up in basically the same area. Um, right. So I don't know what town, what town are you from? Percy. Percy. Yeah. We, I mean, we're yeah. literally, like yep. like you said 15 like right next minutes. door yeah mm -hmm. so like but the experiences are so they're similar but they're different because right. i can walk around at night and i don't have to worry about the police bothering me right and i can i have the, those privileges so have you had any um specific experiences around here uh that like uh 
opened well, I mean, obviously like you live with this every day, but like things that have opened mm. your eyes that it's not it, is it different here or is it this is it the same or is it like a mixture of right different, different I mean, types of yeah so like even even yesterday um i go to i go go to the uh, the public middle school central middle school um just to work out because you know, I, I do my mile and do all that um and even just yesterday you know an, an officer he he pulled up and he slowed down and then he started looking at uh, my friend and i and we we're like oh you know because like one of the biggest like problems right now is the fact that we don't even feel safe when we see an officer mm-hmm. and then we should, but we, but just, it's just the facts that we don't. So he, you know, he slowed down, he stopped and just looked at us and I was like, okay, well, what's going on? So immediately took out my phone and start, started recording the whole situation. And, um, you know, he pulled around and came, came closer to us. Like, what are you guys doing? You know, what's going on? Just telling that we're going to go work out. And, you know, and always we them with sir, you know, sir this, sir that, ma'am, you know, because one of the things is that white children are grown up to, you know, they, they can talk to an officer a certain way. They can, um, you know, we have a different talk with our parents when we're young about how to treat, how to talk to an officer, because we don't want to end up like George Floyd. We don't want to end up like anybody else. So he came up and, you know, spoke to him very properly. You know, he, he gave us the respect that, you know, we respected him with. So what it comes down to is we'll, we'll give officers, we, we will back up officers as long as they back up people who look like us. So that's, so that's, that's that. Um, before, before that, probably around, it was like a week after Trayvon's death going back, um, I spoke about this uh, at the protest. I was mm-hmm. going on my way to school and my neighbor actually, he lives like less than a hundred mi- hundred yards away from me. And, you know, we, we were just talking about, cause I wanted to get any, everybody else's take. And he told me that, you know, it was Trayvon Martin's fault. And that was like one of, that's, that's probably the biggest eye opening um, sentence that has ever come to me because that's when I knew where I was that's when I knew like I was like because because before that growing up you know I I have a whole you know I'm surrounded by by white people and I grew up with their kids and they're, they're so, so a lot of them are like my best friends to this day but you know just growing up I didn't really see a difference between me and them because my parents surrounded me in a, in, in a situation where I would succeed because my parents, you know, got, got here, you know, they, they're, they're the exception to the whole system, but which they're still being systematically, you know, uh, messed up. But, um, it's a, it's a different situation because I grew up with them and then up, up to that whole Trayvon, uh, trade Trayvon Martin part, I, I just felt like I was equal, but then that's when I was old enough and mature enough to actually understand what was going on in the world. And then that's when, you know, he told me that. And I was like, wow. And I was like, wow, how, how can a kid walk me home with some Skittles and a, a black sweatshirt, you know, just no, no, nobody should have to, you know, walk outside of the house and worry about when, if they're going to come home or not. And then, not only that, but you have the person who murdered that kid in cold blood, and he was acquitted of that. That's that that whole situation. Like that's when I knew where I was, and to see somebody that I grew up with be on the other side of that issue, it was uh, it was heartbreaking. Um, and it was eye opening. Yeah. Yeah, I mean. I, uh, looking back at my, you know, for a lack of better term, radicalization, and because it's not, I'm not, I don't view myself as a radical, but, you know, some, some might, <laughs> and, but, so, view, looking back at, like, my high school uh, experience, and thinking back to, like, what, like, triggered me to think, start thinking differently, one of the first things I remember, and, again, like, it, it'll 
it goes into another story. But one of the first things I remember was sitting in my bed in high school and I saw a YouTube video about, I, I believe it was the Trayvon Martin shooting, but to be honest with you, there's so many of them that I don't, right. I don't remember which one it was. And um, it was just so eye opening that I was like, wait, what happened? Because like, you know, I, I like you said, I, I've dealt with the police. I've, I've, and you know, I also <laughs> try to be respectful to the police, but like, it's not the same situation for me. Mm. Um, right. So like, I remember some piggybacking off of that is like, I remember around that same time, uh, I was walking around my, my best friend's neighborhood at night and we, we were just, you know, hanging out and some guy came out with his dog and he was kind of threatening us. But if we weren't white, that definitely could have gone, almost certainly would have went a different way. Right. And because he was threatened by, you know, two, you know, white kids that were just walking around the neighborhood, literally just walking around the neighborhood. I, you know, I just don't even want to imagine what could have happened in that situation. And that's all like led me down a different path of like, okay, well now I need to understand other people's perspective. And that's, that's somewhat has opened my eyes to like, we're having this conversation today. And I've, I've read about revolutionary leaders. Like I've read about uh, Malcolm X and I'm reading about Fred Hampton, like these people that we're not really taught about, like we're taught about um, Martin Luther King Jr. But this is another topic, a whole another thing, but we're taught, we're taught about that. But um, we're taught about the peaceful protest, the peaceful protest, but we are not fully given the context of how much violence they took and how much violence was put upon the black community for so, so long. Not even like, We a lot of people just think, oh, slavery ended, that's it, and that's not yep. even close. Nope, no, it's not. Um, so like, is there a specific, um, you know, I have I have people that I look up to and in, in, and uh, have gotten inspiration from all the way from you know, like I said, I, I've read about Malcolm X and then all the way to uh, like rappers like Killer Mike. I, I don't know if you know Killer Mike from Run the Jewels. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's one of my favorites, also because I'm a Bernie crat. So to me, I, I like that he was, you know, people like that, um, right. that make that kind of music and make art that is revolutionary and eye-opening. Is there someone that's uh, like inspired you that way? Or, uh, you know, whether it be an artist, a, a leader, anybody like that? Um, my heroes in that sense would have to be my parents, um, my godparents, uh, even, you know, my, my great grandmother, she marched with, uh, King. Wow. Um, which, you know, is a whole powerful story in itself. But, um, you know, when I look at people like Muhammad Ali, who always, always stood up for what he believed in, always backed the black community up, you know, he didn't, he didn't have to, that's, that's the thing. People who don't have to do it, who are making millions of dollars, you know, have a whole legacy of their own and they choose to stand up for what they believe in. Because a lot of, a lot of people are just content with what they have and okay. You know, respect to them. That's what, you know, but, you know, the whole silence is violence thing. If you have social issues and you actually are, are a, an athlete or, or a, a, you know, a huge leader and in, in a positive influence in the society, then you have to voice your, you know, your opinion for change. And it's, it's people like Muhammad Ali who I really look up to. Um, you know, Le- Muhammad Ali to LeBron, you know, people who actually get active with the community and try and, you know, change what society is today. And hopefully, you know, with that in mind, I can be one of those people who can, you know, lobby for change because the, going, going, going back to the whole slavery reference, you know, you know, people think that, you know, re, you know, slavery is over, so, you know, whatever, everything's okay. Mm-mm. Slavery? Even even the civil rights movement, the civil rights movement is 
you know, it was it was great. It was a you know a, a turning point in American history. But the thing is, is that the job's not done. The job's not the job wasn't done after slavery. The job was done at the civil rights. The job's not done now. So if we can all the people, anybody who voices their opinion, anybody who voices their opinion for change in the positive direction to progress the nation, those are the people I look up to. Awesome. Um, I guess we can go in two different ways here, but I'd like to um, talk about, you know, a little bit of what I was almost hitting on was, you know, the whitewashing of uh, Martin Luther King Jr. and other leaders like that, say like Muhammad Ali. I mean, I don't know. I mean, you talk about Muhammad Ali. Uh, I don't know if a lot of people really understand the full extent uh, to how powerful what he was saying was, especially at the time. But like, a lot of people just hear like, oh yeah, float like a butterfly, sting like a bee type thing. But no, like he was, you know, again, for a lack of a better word, he was a radical. Uh, and so was uh, Martin Luther King. Um, so uh, do you feel like that going through school, and I know you're in college now, but in say like in elementary school and in high school uh, that you were taught enough or even close to enough about the real truth of the injustices of throughout history, throughout United States history? Uh, I love this question because this is one of the main ideas which I want to move for change. Um, growing up in the Penridge School District, I'm not sure if it was the same uh, over there, but Growing up here, not once did we acknowledge Black History Month. Uh, not once did, you know, we, we had MLK, we learned about, you know, the different topics, but okay, you, you, can't, you can't focus your curriculum on one leader, however great he is. Because you have MLK, he, you know, the face of the civil rights, but look at all those people behind him. And maybe, well, it's, it's not a maybe, it's a definite. If people were, if teachers were even, you know, remotely allowed to even talk about that kind of stuff, then I wouldn't have had, I, I would not have had that comment from my, uh, 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 my neighbor on the bus. Yep. You know, people, people wouldn't be telling me, you know, Chandler, you know, slavery is dead or whatever. They, no. It, 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 just, it just wouldn't happen. So what I want to happen, because to, in, in today's education system, if you even talk about that kind of issue with a teacher, or, or, or if, if the teacher talks to the students, rather, about any type of social issue regarding race, um, shootings, they can get in trouble for that. Which is weird to me because you know, we learn about, I'm tired of the narrative that we have to learn about things 10 years from now in a history book. I should not have had to learn about Emmett Till or, you know, a whole bunch of other of these, you know, everybody else in an in a African-American studies class in college. That's way too late. That's way too late. We need to start learning about this stuff in, you know, I, you know, I would say probably fifth grade going into sixth grade or something like that. But, you know, this whole narrative that, you know, we can't talk about social issues when they're happening in America in present time has to go away. And if you actually start the conversation with the youth, because the future of America is the youth, then we can change for a better tomorrow. Yeah, I mean, I couldn't agree with that more. Um, for me personally, I, I can say that I did learn probably, I guess, more than what they were giving you in high school from what it sounds like. But uh, like I did learn about Emmett Till in high school, but I also was in like uh, specific classes that like kind of tailored that. Uh, mm -hmm. Like like the, my U.S. history class in, in high school was a little bit more in depth on that kind of stuff because it was three semesters. So 
uh, we had longer time to discuss more specific things. But yeah, you're right. Like there's a political, uh, there's a politiza, a politiza, whatever. They politicize uh, everything when it comes to education. So even though if it's a straight up fact that we know, all right, um, I'm drawing a blank. Uh, on was it Tamir Rice who was the was the kid with the um, a toy gun? With the yeah, yeah, yeah. So like if we had if we have an example with like Tamir Rice who's a young kid who's playing with a toy gun. Uh, like, look, I played with um, airsoft guns and stuff like that when I was younger. Mm. Does, does someone like that deserve to die? Of course not. But, and it's so, it's so clear because in the video that they showed, they didn't even talk to him. They just pulled up within under 10 seconds, shot him dead. Mm-hmm. And I, I want to capitalize on that point you just made. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was younger, uh, airsoft looked like the coolest thing to me. Yeah, it was. <laughs> I kept, I kept, you know, I, I, I would have to sneak around and then go to my neighbor's house to play airsoft with them because my, because my dad and my mom wouldn't let me get my, get, get my own airsoft gun. Looking back on that, I am so grateful that they made that decision. And when I came home one day and my dad said, look at the news. This is why I didn't, I, because he, you know, he had the maturity that I didn't to realize that, you know, everybody, everybody around here that I was playing yourself with was white and, you know, they can, they can do that kind of stuff. But a lot of these people see me as a threat, even without a toy gun. So oh, imagine if I had, a toy gun and then the situation would have been 10 times worse but you know that's that that's a whole nother level of i'm the, like like the white privilege that i'm talking about because you guys can do that we cannot and you can extrapolate that there are <laughs> not even toy guns there are people with real guns that walk around yep absolutely like mm-hmm rifles ar-15s whatever you want to talk about you know like i <laughs> i know plenty of cool like I, I think guns are cool i don't own any but like right they're like it's cool to see them but it's not cool to yeah. be around them because anytime you're anytime someone's like that if you're viewed as a threat then that's someone that is a threat in reverse because they're going to take you as somebody that is going to do x y or z and they're mm-hmm. going to feel like they have an authority to end your life and that's to, to me that's totally insane um that's a i mean that's on its whole whole different thing but you can compare the protests that we're seeing like across the country uh to the ones that happened a couple of weeks ago i mean there were literally armed militias in the face of police officers and they did yep. nothing mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which to be fair that's what we want them to do right but that's what they want we want them to do when they're around you know anybody else but the fact mm-hmm. is that they show no restraint now and they showed all the restraint in the world when they have people with literal like rpgs basically right. standing right in front right of them. a man a, like i saw i saw i saw a video um i think it was on youtube and a man just walked into a bar and he had like a, a whole bazooka on his yep. on his back they were going I, into like, like subways and stuff like that. Like, you right, know, like the sandwich right. shop, not the actual subways. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's like they just had guns all over the place. I'm like, because that, that, that kind of stuff, man. I mean, black people get shot for having a pistol. And you walked into a, a subway with a bazooka. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, it, it's crazy. I mean, that's why it's, that's why we have to have these conversations, you know, like, right. It's to get the, it's to get this information out there to acknowledge, and it's not like it's not putting anyone down. It's just saying like this is the reality of a situation, and you know a little bit going back to the education problem is for me, I I like reading about our history because it's so eye opening. Like it's so it blows me away sometimes like that nobody talks about some of it right and obviously it's you know it's for a reason 
Um, and the, like I was saying, everything's politicized. So uh, when we talk about teachers having any sort of voice on this, it's inherently like you're taking a side, which it shouldn't be taking a side. Like what I was trying to say is if, if you murder like a 12 year old boy, that shouldn't be like, there's two sides. There are no two sides to that story. And there is no two sides to when you have um, protesters and you have neo-Nazis or fascists. Like that's not, they're not two justified sides. Um, So we we have these escalating situations. So um, what, other than the education system, I, I mean, I obviously have a few things that I, I think need to be changed, but as, uh, as someone that actually has lived through some of these injustices, what, what do you think, uh, else could change in, in the criminal justice system or just generally speaking in our culture, anything like that? Um, actually, so I put a, I put out on my Instagram, um, a question, uh, with what do people, you know, want me to talk about, um, and one of the things was, do you think that police should have to study psychology before they are made police officers? That was like an idea that I just haven't thought of. I mean, that for one would, would I, I think would be beneficial. Um, two, I think that, you know, the system in itself do what you have to do, but I, I know it's easier said than done. Change it. Mm-hmm. Change it so that everybody has an equal level, equal opportunity, because that's what it comes down to. I mean, you got people in the projects who want to live in an area like you and I do, but the system doesn't even allow them to excel. So, uh, there, there's this one movie or uh, one show called American Gods and uh, one of their quotes was, you know, we have a system here that's that, that takes black children so fast from schools to jails, schools to prisons, and then, and then the lucky ones go from school to the NFL and they don't even get a chance to kneel. Like, you're... And, and that, that whole protest in itself um, was just, like, people think that, you know, it's going against, you know, the, the America, the flag. <laughs> I want to understand where they're coming from. I just can't because, I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm an American. I love this country. But protesting... America and the system of America is not saying that I disrespect the flag. It's not saying that I disrespect the the troops because it was never about that and it won't be about that in the future. It's about the systemic injustice that everybody sees. So prison reform, um, just overall, you know, systematic overhaul like i i know i know it's easier said than done but you gotta start with start with the institutions prisons schools you know all the way up to the white house you gotta you gotta gotta change it you gotta change it i mean you had people mad because they can't sustain themselves enough because they're not given the same opportunity to get out of the ghetto to get out of the you know the slums or whatever i mean I, I have I have cousins who, you know, are so like, who who I, I love to death, but they can't excel because, you know, the system doesn't allow them to. I mean, that's that's probably the hardest thing that we all have to do is we have to actually work ten times harder to get to that same position that we were over overqualified for than say a white man who just comes in and you know and says you know hi nice nice to meet you all right and then can i have the job it's you know we we just have to work harder so the system just needs an overhaul the system just needs to change all together 
like I said before, it's easier said than done, but we have to at least start start somewhere. And that's that's how, how we change it. Awesome. Yeah. And then I guess uh, just my my two cents on it for anybody that's listening that wants to dig into any policies more. Uh, and if you, you know, if for some reason this is your first episode and you never listened to any of these other episodes before, uh, I talk about wealth inequality all the time. Uh, so looking into the, like how we got here. And if you want to check out my, my, my really deep dive with uh, Jeff Kennedy, we talked about wealth inequality a lot because of the, uh, we're talking about systematic changes for the better here today, but in the eighties, we had a lot of systematic changes for the worse. And, you know, we'll talk about, we could, we talked about Nixon and Reagan as well, but Reagan in, in particular set us back really far when it comes to wealth inequality. And that affects all of us, not even just one specific race or gender or whatever, but it specifically affects one race and gender more right. than others. So right. what, that's why it's important to realize that 99.9% .9 of us are in the same boat in a lot of this stuff. So when they're put, when people pit us against each other, like Chandler and I, we're, he's black and I'm white, but guess what? A lot of what we can do is work together. And that's how we make that change happen because we can, <laughs> and it's, we have to acknowledge that there are differences and that's, that's obvious, but those differences make us stronger, not weaker. And they can't like for, for a kind of a skewed example, we get pitted against each other because of say a social issue like abortion. Like I was, I was working the polls on Tuesday and people came up to me. Oh, so you're pro abortion. You're pro abortion. No, I'm pro choice. But we can disagree on that. And guess what? I'm still going to fight for you to have a higher wage and I'm going to fight for you to have equal rights. And I'm going to fight for you to be represented uh, by the actual laws and have justice in this country just as much as anybody else. Even if we disagree on some social issues like that, but it's used to pit us against each other. So wealth inequality is another huge one to look into. If, if you're listening to this for the first time, um, demilitarizing the police, is huge so not even just the like we need to reform how we police and, and really the prison system of course like what chandler said but when we when we also look at demilitarizing the police like the police get uh the excesses of the military like literally they get the excesses of the military um and if you're listening to this and you've never heard of that before look up the military surpluses and how those get passed on to the police and how our tax dollars are basically making uh, a pseudo military out of a lot of our police uh, police um, forces. And look, I'm, I'm all about having, I, I don't believe in the abolition of police. I know some people do. Uh, I personally don't, but I think that if you demilitarize, you deescalate situations like what we had in Doylestown the other day, where we did have agitators. We did have people that wanted to start problems. I heard of people, I didn't see them personally, but I, I did hear that there were some people with uh, white supremacist uh, tattoos and stuff like that all over the place. I mean, we don't want to engage with those people uh, and we didn't, but right. luckily, luckily we had, I, I personally believe, luckily we had the police there because if something did happen, we had some sort of protection. That's my personal belief. Um, but I'd rather them not walk around with guns. I'd rather them not walk around in SWAT uniforms. You know, I'd rather them be a part of our community. And that takes not just here in Doylestown because they, most of those people are from around here. But when we talk about uh, different police forces, it should be community police forces. It should be people from the actual communities that they live in. Uh, it shouldn't just be like, you know, some random guy that gets drove, that drives in an hour, an hour away into New York, the NYPD. So that's another one. And then obviously when we're talking about Nixon and we're talking about Reagan, uh, the war on drugs is another huge one that we need to end. Um, we need to break that down because if you're, if you are uh, black, you are two times more likely to get arrested for possession of marijuana, even though yep. the usage is the same. Uh, actually there's, there are some stats that say that white people use marijuana more. So if, if that's not a clear injustice 
to anybody listening, then I don't know what else to tell you on that one. Um, but yeah, so with all of that, um, is there anything else that you'd like to mention about, uh, you know, what, what we did here or generally speaking, what you want to see moving forward? So one thing that I do want to tell everybody is that, you know, when we look at this problem as a whole, um, I don't think that personally, I, I, I know that a lot of people do, but I don't think that the police are the black community's true enemy. And I said this at the, uh, at the protest Monday. I don't believe that. I think that the true enemy to the black community is a word called ignorance. Ignorance is the basis of all of our problems. And when we have people who don't, first of all, acknowledge their ignorance or take, you know, their ignorance out on other people, you know, people of color, then that's where the root of our problem stems from. The problem is, is that a lot of those ignorant people, as we have seen, have a badge in the gun. So what I'm trying to say is I know a lot of good people out there who are behind the badge and the gun, who do want to protect our streets. But, you know, we see that the whole, you know, the whole, the whole idea of, you know, there's just a few bad apples. End that. End that. End that whole argument right there. There's there, and uh, it was it was Chris Rock who said it. There's there's certain jobs where you cannot have bad apples, like you can't have a doctor. You know, just you know, you can't have doctors. You can't have nurses say uh, a few a few bad apples or whatever. You or can't a pilot. do that because at the, at the right right uh, yeah he said he said um uh, yeah. what if what if like American Airlines or something yeah a few of us like to land no you can't you can't do that you can't do that so. Uh, you know, we just need to have like a whole overhaul, like like do another, you know, I, I don't know what, I, I really wish I had the answer like a lot of other people, but I just don't, um, you know, but I do know that talking about these issues even in more depth and not just letting this whole protest die down, that's the solution and we can work towards an overall, you know, equality. Because I would love to say that this nation is equal. I would love to say that there's no divide. I would love to say that I have the same opportunity that a white man does. However, if we look at the facts, it's just not there. So ignorance is the main problem that we face today. Not only that, but we have leaders not going to name names, but he sits in the Oval Office that, uh, uh, you know, don't acknowledge what's happening. And then they just let, you know, think, think things go terrible. And it's a problem because, you know, I don't want to have to walk outside of my house. I, I go for a run every day. As we've seen, it's almost like, like after, after I saw Ahmaud Arbery get hunted, because he didn't, like, it wasn't just like, like you know, two, two people confronting himself and, and he got shot. No, he was hunted for taking a jog. And if you, if you hear the, the, uh, the um, um, police, police uh, uh, report and, you hear the call that happened to 911. Nobody's saying that Ahmad is the burglar or, you know, whatever. So these guys assumed that he was the person and this whole citizen's arrest thing, which you didn't identify yourself, you just walked out of a truck with a shotgun. I mean, there, there, there's nothing right that happened in that situation. Just like George Floyd, just like Tamir Rice, just like Trayvon Martin, 
I, the list goes on and on. Yep. And the thing is, is that, you know, black people around the world are mad because this is just another thing that happened that shouldn't have never happened. And I don't know why, but it's almost as if, like, to me at least, it feels like this has been happening since, since like, the dawn of time. Because it just happens so frequently and we're just so tired of it. And we don't, we don't talk, talk about doing anything, you know. And the more ignorant issue is that people are coming out with the statistic that, you know, all right, black, uh, black people are actually killed less than police than, than, than white people are. All right. If you show me the facts, I'll look at them and I'll respect them. However, this is my rebuttal to that. If you tell me that white people, unarmed, innocent, are being murdered by the cops more often, then why is it that that statistic always comes out after a Black Lives Matter movement? Mm -hmm. You should be angry about that just as much as we are. Absolutely. But since you see Black people marching on the streets, fighting the injustice, that's when that statistic comes out the closet. Why is that? If you can't answer that question for me, then you have nothing that I want to hear. And to piggyback off that, um, the, that statistic is so bunk because I think it's, uh, I forget the exact numbers, but like it's the, the, the number nominally is so minuscule. Uh, the difference is so minuscule and they're completely ignoring the size of population. So like if you're, you're talking about white people in America, that's about probably 60 to 70% of the country. Mm -hmm. And then uh, the black community is at most like 15% off the top of my head. Um, so if you're talking about nominal, like, you know, small statistical errors, well, you're talking about a community that's four times larger than another. So like right. if they're equal or they're close to equal, then that shows the disproportionality of like what's happening. So that's why people do bring those stats up, but they're complete, they're complete bunk. Like they, as much as want, they want to say like, uh, oh, you know, white people get, killed by the police more just nominally so and and again that's you're right though like <laughs> if that's happening then we should be mad about that too right because that's the that's the government literally oppressing people exactly and i i just i just don't i never understood it to to begin with and i i'm never gonna understand it in the future but what you said yeah that's that you know i, I learn something new every day but um yeah, I mean, I think about that. You have people marching and protesting injustice. And I, I don't know who said it, but um, they said it so perfectly. I, I, I really wish I could say the name to, to reference it. But um, they said that, and you, you, you might be able to help me out with it, but they said um, white comfort should not be the cause of Black lives. Mm-hmm. So black people are taking to the streets protesting and justice that has been done to us, which like I said to us feels like since the dawn of time, your comfort level has significantly decreased. So you, I want to call the police on us. You can, you know, bring out the statistics and do all that, but we're not going anywhere. So, I mean, you're either with us or against us, but I can tell you that from on our side, you know, it's almost like we've had the whole world against us since the beginning. And James Baldwin said it best, the story of America is the story of the black man in America, because you have all these places that for one were built by slaves, you know, you got, you got all, these, all these inventions made by black people you know, we, we, we just like, think about it, music, you know, sports, I'm, we're like, we're not going anywhere. We're, we're, we're only like, we want to be able to make America great. That's, that's the whole thing. We want to make America great. 
because that that whole slogan, uh, uh, Trump Trump slogan, "Make America Great Again." Ask anybody when America was great for everybody, and see what they say. Also, was it when? Well, go ahead. Go ahead. Also, to point out that the slogan is from the KKK, but yeah, go ahead. All right. See, <laughs> there, there you go. There you go. <laughs> I mean, was it was it when the Native Americans were being pushed from the land? Was it when Black people were being enslaved? Was it when civil rights, you know, happened? I, like, I want to know in the in, in the single in the single year when America was good for everybody. Because so um, if you it, it, if you couldn't tell from my last name, I'm African. My 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 father came over from Africa in the '80s to to pursue the American dream. So I went there in August, um, and and they all, you know, like if you go outside of this country, like yeah, you know, bias is there, but there is no other country that that seems as racist as America. And it was so like eye-opening because over there, like they think that America is is this you know, faraway land, you know, for, for, you know, you know, magic. And then I gotta show them the news to be like, yeah, so. Uh, this is what's happening. And their minds are like, like, wow, like we didn't think it was like this. So going back to that, I mean, don't get me wrong. This is, you know, I'm I'm a proud American. I love I love my country. But you know, I I want everybody to be equal. So that's that's at, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, that is the goal. I want everybody to be equal. I don't want to have to walk down the street and then have just my like my skin color is not a weapon. It's not I'm not gonna hurt you. You can ask anybody who, you know, anybody in this community. I know for a fact that my community, the people in my community love me. They they they, they tell me all the time, Chandler, we love you. But you know, at the same time, it only takes me to be down on the ground with uh, somebody's knee on my neck for them to understand that this is a problem and I don't want it to get to that point. So I'm trying to make people see things from my point of view, from a black man's point of view, because we've been treated like a threat for forever. And we're not. I mean, like, and, and this there, there's this whole campaign going on um, with with black mothers and their, and their children, and they're uh, they're saying like, when did I go from cute to dangerous? Which is like, I'm 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 looking back at my back at my baby pictures. I'm like, oh, I was a cute kid. I mean, I was I was never raised to hate. I, I'm I'm. Personally, I was never raised to hate. I know that some people out there, a lot of people out there are raised to hate another. I was never raised to hate. But you go ask a police officer, you know, in Alabama or whatever, like they're not asking me these questions, you know, are you a bad person or not? I have a target on my back and they don't even know who I am. So, you know, and, and I, I got this all the time growing up, you know, you, you're pretty, you know, you know, you, you're not, you're not, you know, like, you're not, you're not like most black people, you're not, you know, you, you kind of, what standard is there to measure how black a person is? Because <laughs> that standard was made by white people. So I want to know what, what's the, what's the criteria to measure me as a black man. I'm black because for one, I'm blessed to be black. I'm black because God decided, hey, Chandler, you know, you're gonna be darker than everybody else. I'm black because of my skin color and I'm black because of the community that I live in. I'm not black because you decided I'm black. I'm not black because you know, you you said, all right, Chandler, you're 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 too white to be like every other black person. 
they, you know, they always talk to me, you know, Chandler, you know, <clears throat> you talk like a white person. So you're telling me that talking like a white person means talking, you know, being, uh, uh, what's, what's that one word? Uh, coherent, you know, uh, 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 lingual. You know, I can I can pronounce all my words that I I don't I don't talk slang I don't talk in ebonics. so that's so that's what you call talking a white person. So you're saying that the that the highest level of you know the way that I talk is to be like a white person. That in its in and of itself is is like that doesn't make any sense. So just the whole and and you know I. I learned this in my um, organizational behavior class. You know, we all have implicit bias. We just need to acknowledge it. Don't get me wrong. I have implicit bias. I'm not going to say that I don't because I know for a fact that I do. The black community, we all have, we have an implicit bias. The white community, we have implicit bias. Police have implicit bias. Government has implicit bias. You know, but in order to make a better tomorrow, not only do we have to all acknowledge our implicit bias, but we have to talk about how we can eradicate hate. And that's that's all that it comes down to. Yeah, I t- totally agree with that. Um, I guess in closing, I think it's important to point out that uh, during this like crazy time of unrest, and like I don't know the guy's name that was in Central Park that was that had the cops threatened uh, to be called on him or the cops were called on him. Yeah, yeah, I, he was a, I, I know what you're talking about. Yep, he was a bird watcher, and this lady mm-hmm. didn't have her dog on a leash. But like, if you're listening to this and you made it this far and you still are a little like, I don't know, like uh, where I lie. I don't understand. I don't. I need some historical context. Take a look at that video of that guy in Central Park and then look up Emmett Till and what happened to him. Yeah. Because the that is exact or and look up the Central Park Five and look exactly those There you go, Central Park Five. Right. Not only do you look not not only look up the Central Park Five, but watch um uh what was the Netflix uh, uh series that they did? I don't know. Um, I, I just watched it too. Well, you can feel, feel, feel free once you find it. Um, because those, those, um, that historical context is important to understand, like why that woman felt comfortable calling the police to take care of, um, a minor inconvenience of putting her dog on a leash. And And that, that and that goes back to the, you know, white, white comfort. When, when white comfort is decreased, that's when, we call they call the police yep and <clears> the <throat> assumption uh, that he the, the police are going to come there and you know take care i'm using air quotes take care right. of the problem uh I, I i encourage everybody to go and watch when they see us on netflix um it's a story of the central park five um back in 1988 uh jogger um was brutally raped and left for dead in central park and the N- the NYC Police Department, they had decided um, to open an investigation. And not only did they do that, but they went and arrested 16-year-old black kids. So they held these 16-year-old black kids for more time than they should have been without any food, water, uh, you know, uh, um, access to their families and they ended up getting these five kids and at the end of the you know at the end of you know they, they didn't even get to the trial before that they were they were you know messed up uh, they were all you know coerced by the New York City Police Department to rattle each other and they all all five of them went to jail so the New York City Police Department had acknowledged a problem that they made in uh, 1989, rather. And they all, um, I think it was 15 years, 16 years later, 
they were all um, acquitted of what they did because they actually found the DNA uh, evidence. Uh, yeah, the DNA evidence, <laughs> and which, first of all, going back to it, no evidence at the scene of the crime pointed to any any of the um, uh, five. Nothing. So they found out that a Hispanic kid did the crime that, and they didn't even look at the Hispanic kid. They just rounded up 16 year old, 15 year old black kids from the streets and brought them to the, um, the uh, uh, downtown police department and then conducted their investigation. I, I encourage you guys to go watch it. Um, it is a very emotional watch. Uh, I watched it with my family. We all cried. Um, and I also encourage you to watch American Son, which is about um, a kid about my age. He's biracial and he gets um, stopped by the police. And I'm not going to tell you what happens because that was disappointing, but it's a very good watch. Uh, I encourage you guys to go watch those two. Awesome. Um, and yeah, I, I don't know if I, I said this earlier, but like, it's crazy that these things have happened and in <laughs> recently because it's like, it shows that even during a global pandemic, this doesn't stop, that the right. injustices still mm -hmm. happen. So um, mm -hmm. we, we, we just talked about Central Park Five. Um, I'm not going to go through the, the whole story of Emmett Till, but please do like look that up because that was one of the most eye-opening things I've ever seen. Um, just you can even and look up the story and then look up you can see pictures um, and those are going to be like life-changing things to see uh, I can't do it justice so just please do look that up yeah. um, and is there anything that you would like to uh, share about like where follow you uh, you know I know you were talking about starting a podcast so yeah you plug that anything like that your Instagram Twitter um, so I, I do have to get back on Twitter, but my Instagram is, uh, Chandy. So C H A N D Y underscore K three, six. Um, and you know, I'm trying to start a podcast called progress to, you know, actually talk about how people from all different, you know, backgrounds can actually move forward because I do think that the main problem in America is that you know, one side hates on the other so much that we just repeal everything that happens good. No matter, no matter if, if it's good or bad, we just take it back. And then we try to read, no, go together, work with your neighbor and then move forward. That's how we make progress. So I'm going to have different guests. Hopefully I have you on there. I'm and, around. Uh, you know, <laughs> all right. <laughs> got 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 my first guest then. So hopefully, you know, we can uh, work for a better tomorrow and actually talk about how we can make some change. So I do want to leave off on one note. Um, and this is that everybody, every single one of us has a voice. Every single one of us. Um, only thing is, is that we need to actually make ourselves heard. Um, that starts with, you know, just doing things in your own community. You go out and talk to people that aren't from the same background as you uh go go and you know i'd like you to go learn about their culture and they can learn about yours you know that's we're trying to make it better tomorrow we're trying to make america great for everybody um and uh yeah so we all have a voice it just you know just depends on who's listening and a lot of people are listening a lot of people are listening well i'll close by saying thank you chandler for coming on um, Thank you. this is, like I said, in the beginning, this is important because it's like, I can come on here and I can say my piece, but it's not the same. It's not ever the same. If you're not actually listening to other people's perspective on whether it's race, gender, um, just different parts of culture, um, you, you can't fully get the picture until you've spoken to people that have different experiences than you. Um, and that's why I'm saying like a lot of the people that do listen to this uh, podcast do come from, you know, Bucks County or Doylestown or anywhere in Pennsylvania or whatever it is. And we, we do take things for granted and we, we do, a lot of people don't recognize the, the privilege we have being white. So 
please, please do check out. And this, this is like a podcast is going to give you some homework, I guess. Please do check out everything we were talking about today. Um, there's plenty of books. If you guys want to reach out um, at Con O'Hanlon on Twitter, you guys can always reach out to me on there and ask for any of the books that I've read. Um, and I can suggest anything like that. And it doesn't have to be on uh, one specific topic. Anything that I know of, I'll send them your way. Um, so yeah, so thanks again, Chandler. I appreciate it. And, um, if you guys are listening, follow the Kano show on Facebook, follow me on Twitter and feel free to reach out conrohanlon 13 at gmail.com. If you have any suggestions, topics, guests, anything like that. So thank you again, Chandler. Thank you for the platform. <laughs> no problem. See you guys next time. Thank mm-hmm. you.